Roger Stevenson pastored a church in Wandsworth, London. They had a congregation of about 150 to 200 people. And one morning, he had a special service. He had a guest speaker coming and they were going to do some baptisms. As he started the service, he looked up. And the way that their church was set out was that the congregation was in front of him, like most churches, the congregation is in front of the speaker. But at the back of the auditorium at the top were all the officers. And he looked up into the officers and what he saw up there was a whole load of heavily armed police officers. They had the helmets, bulletproof jackets, pistols, guns. Yeah, they, had, they had the works. And he thought, what on earth is going on? So he said to his colleague, Paul, go and find out what's going on. So Paul came back and he said, look, we're in serious trouble. A man has been shot and the whole area has been sealed off because the suspect is in the church. And they don't want to let the service continue. They can't let the service just continue. On the other hand, they don't want to just stop the service because they think the guy might take hostages. So he said, the police have got a plan. And their plan is this. They're going to wander up and down the aisles inconspicuously. Roger said, well, I don't think that's going to work. I think I've got a better idea. How about this? So this is what he did. He said to the congregation, if you are a regular member of the congregation, you know, because we've got baptisms today, if you're a regular member, come down the front and I want you to come right now. So they got up and came. And he said, and if you are a friend of a regular member of the congregation, I'd like you to come to the front as well. And this worked brilliantly. Everybody came to the church apart from one man. The police were very efficient. They moved in, handcuffed him. They took him down to the police station. They raided his flat and they ransacked it. Only one problem. They got the wrong man. This man, it was his first time in church. He'd come because he'd heard this was a place you could experience love, acceptance and healing he had his problems in his life. He was looking for reconciliation in his relationships. He'd come in search of healing. And that's what he experienced. Well, I hope your experience of church has not been like that. And I trust that you feel warmly welcomed here and that indeed this is a place where you can belong and quickly feel part of our family, even through lockdown. You know, we're faced today with a dazzling array of choices. There's a kind of superabundance of options. I read that in the average US supermarket, there are 48,750 different items that you can choose from. In the old days, you know, for breakfast cereals, for example, it was cornflakes or rice bubbles. But now there are hundreds of breakfast cereals. Well, what about when it comes to getting married? You know, previously you'd marry someone who was living close to you or, or who you met within your community. Now you go on the internet and there are thousands of options. What about jobs? You know, previous generations used to do what their parents did. Now there are so many different options and, and you don't just do one thing. You can change many times. You know, the average um, time for, for workers under the age of 30 in a job is about 18 months. That's how quickly you change jobs. And choice is a great thing. It's a blessing. 
But in some ways, it doesn't make the decisions any easier. So does it matter? Is it all just random or, or is there some purpose to your life? You know, life is a gift, an amazing gift. It's been said the two greatest days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. And there is a God who loves you. And your life does have a purpose. You are not an accident. Paul writes this, this is in, in the New Living Translation of Ephesians 2, chapter 10. And, and for we, you can, substitute, you can substitute you because you're part of we. For you are God's masterpiece. The Greek word is, is poema, from which we get the word poem, work of art. You're God's masterpiece, Paul writes. He created you anew in Christ Jesus so that you can do the good things that he planned for you long ago, Ephesians 2.10. See, God designed you with a purpose in mind. Many people feel they're useless, they're worthless, they're frustrated. They say, oh, I'm not good at anything. But your life has huge significance. God loves you. You're of infinite value. Jesus died for you and he has a specific, unique and glorious destiny for you. So don't waste your life. Your life can make a difference. God has good things. That's what Paul says. He has good things for you to do. You know, some people Sometimes people worry about this. You know, they worry about the, the plan, the purpose, the calling. You know, isn't that just for, you know, like priests, nuns or missionaries? No, no, it's for everyone. God has a calling on your life. Does that mean it's all predetermined, that, that there's a kind of blueprint? Does it mean that you can miss God's plan? You know, you did one thing wrong and, and you've missed the whole thing. Well, certainly I don't think that that's the case. You know, I've made many mistakes in my life. Sometimes I've kind of deliberately ignored the instructions. Other times I've just got it wrong. Guidance is difficult. But God's purpose for you is bigger than your mistakes. Nelson Mandela said this, Don't judge me by my successes. Judge me by how many times I fell down and got back up again. It's never too late. This is a true story I read about. It was of a 104-year-old woman. She was asked, what's the best thing about being 104 years of age? And she said, no peer pressure. It's never too late. Whatever age you are, if you're still alive... God has a purpose for you. And I think, you know, it's a bit like Google Maps. Going somewhere that you're unfamiliar with, it's hard if you don't know the directions. But with Google Maps or a sat-nav, it's, it's a great help to have. And it's amazing. Even when you go wrong, it doesn't give up on you. It, it reroutes you. It will go on rerouting you over and over again. It says, as soon as possible, turn around or whenever possible, do a U-turn. And the amazing thing 
is that it is so patient. Sometimes I think I know better than Google Maps and, and, and I decide to, to ignore it because I think I've got a better route. And it, it just keeps rerouting. It doesn't say, look, you've ignored my instructions so many times. Oh, I've had it. I'm going to stop giving you instructions. No. I mean, and that, that's what I would do, <laughs> but it doesn't do that. It's just infinitely patient. Obviously, you can switch it off, you can ignore it, but, but if you follow it, generally, you'll have a much more enjoyable journey and it will get you to a point where it says, you've reached your destination. Of course, the analogy breaks down because we're not dealing with a machine, we're dealing with a person who loves us. This is a relationship with God. But God has a purpose for you. He has a wonderful plan for your life and is infinitely patient. And what he says is, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Psalm 32 verse 8. So how in practice do we hear the voice of God? How does God guide us? Well, God guides us in many, many different ways. Today, I've, I've got five CSs that, that, that will stand us in good stead as far as guidance is concerned. They're different ways in which God speaks to us and leads us. Sometimes it's just one of them. Sometimes with a big decision, it might be all five. So here's the first one, commanding scripture. This is God's guidebook for your life. The psalmist says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, 105. And this is the main way I've found God has spoken to me. As we read this book, and I try to read it daily because I love God's word. I love to hear God's voice. He speaks about his love for us, his kindness, his mercy, his grace, how important you are to him. And it also tells us what his primary calling is on our life. And his primary concern is not about what you do, you know, about who we marry or whether we get married or not, or about you know, the children. The primary calling on your life is into a relationship with him. That's what gives ultimate meaning and purpose to your life. A love relationship with him. And then a love relationship with other people. That's what we're called to. We're called to love our family, to love our friends, to love our neighbour. There's many different ways in which we can do that. But, but as you, you read, you, you see all the different things you can do. Little acts of kindness, which, which can make such a difference. You know, everybody out there is struggling and, and you can, can make such a difference. With your money, you can use some of your money to, and give generously and make such a difference to people's lives. There's so many different ways to love. You can use your time. You can use, use your, your talents, what God's gifted you with. And then God's purpose is that you should become like Jesus. Be transformed into his likeness. You know, when I was working as a buyer many years ago, I, I came up through the ranks as a junior assistant. I ended up overseeing a department 
where around $40 million of sales each week were generated directly from my desk. And I worked hard to make it happen. It was almost 50% of the company's turnover just from my desk. And it was at this time when I was turning 21, going from a junior wage to a full income. I was hoping to get a good pay rise and, and join the pay scale ranks of the other buyers in my team. So I got quite a shock when I went into the general manager's office and, and was offered a contract, you know, my first real contract off the award, offering me a contract, you know, a salary. And that salary was exactly $1,000 more per year than what I was earning at that time. You know, if I didn't sign the contract under the award that I was on, my salary would automatically rise $6,000. So it was a real slap in the face. I certainly didn't feel valued and my, my self-esteem took a bit of a hit. I was hoping, you know, for a $10,000, $15,000 pay rise and, and was offered one, less than I would get automatically. And I was talking to a friend about this and they said something that really gave me some perspective. And they said, they said this, it's so important to realise what matters is not what you do, but who you are. I didn't work there much longer after that. You know, I thought my value was in what I did, generating millions of dollars of sales every year, but I was wrong. My value is in who I am. And God wants us to become like Christ. He wants us to be people of integrity. And in, in this book, you see the kind of things we need to do to be a person of integrity. There's certain things you don't need to pray about in terms of guidance. You don't need to pray about whether you pay your taxes. You know, Lord, this year shall I pay my taxes or not? The answer is yes, you are to pay your taxes. You know, a man who'd just become a Christian wrote to the ATO, the Australian Tax Office, and, and he said, Dear Sir, I've just become a Christian and I've found that I cannot sleep at night. So here is $100 that I owe you. P.S. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> God has good things. That, well, that's what Paul says. He has good things for you to do. Or as some translations say, good works. Now, you're not saved by good works. You're saved by grace. Paul says, but, but you are saved for good works. If God has a purpose for your life, good things for you, uniquely you to do. How do you find out what that is? Well, here's the second CS. Compelling spirit. To be a Christian is to be led by the spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live in our hearts and we begin to hear the voice of Jesus through His Spirit within us. And it takes a bit of time to get to recognise the Spirit of God speaking to us. Sometimes I get a call from a number that's not in my phone. It takes me some time to work out who it is that has called me. But when Kelly calls me, one syllable and, and I know her voice. And as you get to know Jesus better, you recognise his voice. Sometimes in my case, I'm afraid I, I don't follow it. 
You know, there are times when I feel the prompting of the Spirit, but I ignore it. I do the wrong thing and then I feel, I know that the Holy Spirit's saying, don't do that kind of stuff. And as you pray, as you read the Bible, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Most of the best ideas and guidance I've had in this job have come as I've prayed, as I've read the Bible. You know, these ideas come, these, these passions are ignited, these good thoughts, you know, I'm like, where on earth does this thought come from? It's definitely not mine because it's a good thought, you know, and things like ring that person, arrange this meeting, pray for this person, visit that person, you know, do, do this. You know, what about try something? And then God guides us by His Spirit, by giving us a strong desire to do things. Paul says in Philippians, God works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. Philippians 2.13. He gives you the desires to do things. Now, I'm not a morning person. I must admit that during lockdown and especially with these cold mornings, I've, I've taken the opportunity to sleep in a bit more than usual. But on a Sunday, I'm up bright and early and, and I'm in at the church to make sure that everything's ready to go for that week. Now, I personally never want to be up and out that early on a Sunday, but God has changed my will. And then sometimes he guides in more unusual ways, visions, pictures, prophecies. Sometimes he, he gives just impressions. As we pray for people, sometimes as you're praying, you know, something comes to mind. You know, it's often quite mundane, but, but this is often the way the Spirit prompts us and leads us. I often find that as I'm praying over certain situations, God leads and directs and can at times give me discernment. A few years ago, there was a moment of clarity, I believe, God gave to me regarding a pastoral role in the church I was in and, and, and the perfect person to fill it. I planted a seed with that person and a few years later, that person was in that pastoral role. Now, I believe that was the leading of the Holy Spirit, opening my mind up to His will and a vision of the future which came to pass. The third CS is Council of the Saints. You know, saints not in the special way of very special people like some people choose to venerate people by. But, but, but there's another sense in which saints is used. In the New Testament, saints just means ordinary Christians, followers of Jesus, the saints. So Council of the Saints is, is like the church. We'll have a whole session when we look at the church, but, but this is about getting advice. We're not alone in this. God has put you in community. You experience that at church and in small groups. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just speak to me. He speaks to you. The writer of Proverbs says, the wise person listens to advice, Proverbs 12, 15. And it also says, make plans by seeking advice. Proverbs 20, verse 18. You know, I'm so grateful for the advice of, of friends, the advice of my parents, the, the advice of, of mature Christians. Ultimately, of course, we're responsible for our decisions, but it's such a blessing not to be on our own, to be able to talk to people about the decisions that we're making. 
How do you know that the prompting of the Spirit or, or, or the advice from a friend is really God speaking to us? Not the devil or, or, or the cheese you ate the night before? Well, there are various tests. And we're encouraged in the New Testament. Um, in 1 John 4.1, it says, test the spirits to see whether they're from God. One test is, is this. Is it in line with the Bible? If it's not, God's not going to contradict himself. Is it loving? God is love. You read of people saying, oh, I went off and killed this person because God told me to. No, God did not tell you to do that. God is love. It says about prophecy, when we have a picture of someone or a word for someone, it's in, is it encouraging? Is it, is it strengthening and comforting? Another test is, do you feel the peace about that decision? Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, Colossians 3, 15. So I encourage you, you know, do access the counsel of the saints. You're not alone. Fourth CS is common sense. God's promises of guidance don't save us the problem of thinking. Paul wrote this to Timothy, reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. 2 Timothy 2.7. He says, in other words, use your mind. And as you're thinking, God will guide you. And I find that that's the main way in which God has guided me over the years. He presents reasons to the mind for acting in a particular way. I don't think it's very helpful often to say, God has told me to do this. You may sense that God has told you, but, but he's probably given you reasons. It's better to give the reasons, then people can argue with that. It gives it openness. There's stuff in the Bible that will tell us the general will of God. So we know from the Bible that singleness is a high calling, that marriage is the norm. But, but this book, this one right here, it won't tell you who you're supposed to marry. It's, it's no good saying, Lord, who should I marry? Oh, oh, Ezekiel. I don't know many Ezekiels. It's common sense. You know you are compatible with that person. That, that, that's one thing. And, and then there's a whole bunch of usual tests as well. You know, what about with your work or your job or career? Well, well, that is actually your primary ministry, your job in the workplace. What Paul says is stay in the job that you were in when you were called. Don't just leave your job when you become a Christian. God doesn't call us out of things. He calls us into things. And that's the moment to leave. Unless, of course, you're an armed robber, then you have to leave straight away, okay? You can't do that gradually. You just need to stop. But, but generally speaking, stay where you are. And there are so many examples of people remaining in their workplaces when they become Christians and, and having a huge impact on those places and organisations. Maybe that could be you. God has given you gifts and talents. He has given you abilities, qualities, character and strength. He's given you experiences of life and he doesn't want anything to be wasted. He wants your talents to be used so that you're not frustrated 
but you're fulfilled in what you do. The fifth CS is circumstantial signs. You know, you know, God is sovereign. He rules and reigns in this universe and he can work things out. Paul says this, we know. This is like from his experience. He says, I know, I know this. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. In everything in your life, God is working for the good. That's in all the bad stuff that's been done to you. God can use that for good. But also the bad stuff I've done, the mistakes I've made in the past, even the bad stuff that I've done wrong, Paul says he can even use that for good. He can use everything, all the situations you get yourselves into, all the struggles, all the circumstances, God is at work in all of them for the good. He is guiding. And often you can only see that as you look back with hindsight. Nicky Gumbel reckons he had the worst marriage proposal anyone could ever make because he wasn't sure. He said, I'd done all the tests. I'd written down the five CSs. I'd been through all that process but I still wasn't sure whether it was right. And I know Pippa wasn't sure either. We were very young and we were very kind of tentative about the whole thing. And I think my proposal must have been one of the worst and certainly one of the most unromantic proposals that have ever taken place. We had supper and I just thought that she probably might not want to marry me. And I didn't want to be rejected. So I thought I needed to be careful about how I asked the questions. So the first question I asked, I just said, would you ever like to get married? And she said, yeah, yeah, I'd like to get married sometime. So I said, who would you most like to marry? Quick as a flash, she replied, Prince Charles. So I said, well, would you marry me? Thankfully, she said yes. And for the last 37 years, I thank God every day that she did. But at that time, I wasn't sure, Nikki said. She wasn't sure. But looking back, we can see God's hand. You know, sometimes God opens doors like that. Sometimes he closes doors. Having been the youth and associate pastor at a church in Adelaide for four years, when it came time to planning for the fifth year, it was pretty clear that my role was going to be changing. I didn't really want that to happen, but it wasn't my call. It was a tumultuous time over those four years in the church and I was really looking forward to making some good progress now that all of that was over. But that door closed. I changed roles and went back and did some more studying. At the end of that year, I finished up at the church. It was, it was tough and, and very disappointing at the time. But, but now, so nine, ten years later, I can see that God closed those doors for a purpose. In everything, he was working for the good. Sometimes we can't see why he's doing it and we just have to trust. And I'd encourage you, what this verse tells us is don't look back with regret. Don't look around with worry. Look up and trust God that in everything in your life, he is working together for your good. If you walk in this relationship with God, reading, commanding 
scripture, listening, compelling spirit, talking, counsel of the saints, thinking, common sense, watching, circumstantial signs, your life will make a difference. In fact, you will have a far bigger impact than probably you will ever realise in this life. Sir Nicholas Winton was born on the 19th of May in 1909 and passed away on the 1st of July 2015, aged 106. In December 1938, he was a young stockbroker on holiday in Prague and he saw, a Nazi occupation, he saw the Nazi occupation and he realised that Jewish families were in jeopardy. And in the space of three weeks, thousands of distraught parents were interviewed and in the space of nine months, he arranged for 664 Jewish children who would have otherwise been killed in the Holocaust to be transported. It was called the kinder transport, to be transported to Britain. He managed to persuade the Home Secretary in England to allow them into Britain. He found families for them who, who fostered the kids. He forged the permits that got them over the border out of Czechoslovakia and he placed them in families in Britain and saved them. When war broke out, he became a fighter pilot and he absolutely forgot about what he'd done. He didn't even tell his wife about it. 50 years later in 1988, his wife was in the attic and she came across a suitcase and she opened it. And inside were all these pictures and letters relating to each of the children. And Esther Ranson from the BBC heard about it and tracked down some of the children and invited them to the studio without telling Sir Nicholas Winton. Nicholas Winton was invited to the studio He was totally unaware of the reason for his attendance and he was placed next to a woman called Vera Gissing who was one of the children. Until that moment, she and the other children had no idea who it was who had saved them, who had rescued them and this is what happened. I love that moment where he stands up and and turns around and and sees the impact of his life that he'd never realised. He'd simply used his God-given talents. And as you use your God-given talents, as you follow his guidance through your life in your relationship with him, one day God will say to you, stand up, turn around. And you will be amazed at the impact that you've had. Maybe you invited someone to church or to your small group or or to craft converge or kids converge. Maybe one day you'll turn around and, and you'll see the impact on their family, on their children, on their children's children. Maybe just some little act of kindness for someone in the office next to you and you'll see the impact on their life or someone encouraging you, or or you encouraging through a word spoken, or some money that you might give that might change someone's life. And he'll say to you, stand up, turn around. Well done, you've reached your destination. Or as the scriptures put it, he'll say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. When God guides us, and he does, 
through reading, commanding scripture, listening, compelling spirit, talking, counsel of the saints, thinking, common sense, and watching circumstantial signs, our challenge is to respond and act faithfully when he guides us because that might change someone's life forever. Let me pray. My God, Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you that you guide us, that you guide us through so many different ways, that you guide us through your word which you've revealed to us, which you've given to us, that you guide us with the indwelling Holy Spirit. May we listen to you. You guide us through the counsel of saints. May we, may we talk and, and seek counsel. You guide us through imparting your common sense in us. May we think through things well. And Lord, we thank you that, that you give us signs, circumstantial signs. May we watch and see how you are guiding us. And so, Lord, I, I thank you that you do indeed guide us. And I pray that as you guide us, we would respond faithfully. And that, Lord, you would indeed speak to us in that glorious day that is coming not too far away and say, well done, good and faithful servants. So, God, we thank you that you do guide us. And may we respond in faithfulness and obedience. We pray. Amen.